I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to minister uh, to this awaiting congregation. And I'm also thankful for the atmosphere that our pastor sets for this place. Thank God for our pastor and the vision that God has given him. I thoroughly enjoyed Sunday school this morning. Uh, I had to leave out a little bit early, but um, the good professor, Andrea Moore, uh, always brings a very valid word. And uh, all of the brothers who teach in the men's Sunday school department, thank you for your tireless efforts, Deke, and all the things that you do, and Gary and so many others, uh, uh, Danny, and there are some others who, who teach. Thank you guys for for just pouring into our lives. Um, I, I think as a minister, one of the things that, that I think that we have to be careful for and careful about is, is that we are not always positioning ourselves to be in a place where we do all the ministry. I really believe that a minister, even the pastor of this house, should be able to sit down and get a timely word. And I believe we get that here at this church. I'm thankful for the brothers here at this place. Amen. We have some good men at this church. The pastor said that before. I want to send a special thanks, too, to, um, uh, to Jason and, and, um, and all of the uh, media team. Um, pastor also has a vision for us to be able to see what you hear. And it, it requires a little bit more work, a little bit more effort. But um, not only are you able to hear a word, here at this church, but we have monitors and screens that we put to good use. And so you're able to see the word. And that um, comes by way of, of the media team that you don't hardly ever see up there. And um, I'm thankful for those brothers and sisters who make sure every Sunday we get a timely word and we're able to see and experience God in a, in a great fashion. So thank you to the media team uh, and Jason for working with me uh, yesterday as well. We have been in the middle of, uh, we are in the middle of a series that Pastor started on what happens when we pray. What happens when we pray? And I want to um, continue that line of thought um, about what happens when we pray. And we're going to take this angle. We're to, today, this morning, we're going to look at our approach to prayer. We're going to look at our approach to prayer. How many of y'all realize that there is a certain approach that you need to take before you get to the Lord? It's not always, Lord, give me, Lord, do this, Lord, 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 Lord. But there is an approach that we need to take when we are going to set ourselves to ask of anything from the Lord. And so today, this morning, I want to show you two approaches that we can take as it relates to us trying to get to God and what happens when we take these two approaches. So I'm going to invite you. I'm a, I'm a real big fan of the book of, of First and Second Samuel. I'm a real big fan of that book. That book is an Old Testament book, but it, it, it has so many great insights. I believe that you could probably teach and preach from that book probably six months out of a year. There's so many lessons to be seen, heard, and learned. And this morning, we're going to start at the beginning of that book, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, 
I'm glad about that because oftentimes you kind of hit in the middle of a passage and you're trying to bring it all together. But we're going to start at the beginning of the passage so you can see what's going on and see the heart and mind of, of, of God at this place. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel uh, <clears throat> chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 first. And here's how it reads. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. Verse 2. And he had two wives. Something wrong with that boy. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Verse 3, and this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Eli was the high priest and the judge at that time, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Verse 4, and when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, portions. Remember that. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, because he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary, who was understood to be Penina, the other wife in the house, also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. It's a very powerful passage of scripture there. Uh, And I'm going to give you an outline of of, of what's going on. So you've got Elkanah, um, and he has two wives, and one is named Penina, and the other one is named Hannah. And the Bible gives us, the insight on that, that Penina had children. She not only had one child, but she had sons and daughters. But Hannah had no children. But however it may be, Elkanah's heart was for Hannah more than it was, was for Penina. Now, Penina had everything. She had the husband. She had, you know, he, he seemed to have been a good provider. He was a worshiper of God. He was a good man. She had a good man, and she had everything she could have wanted at that time. She had children. She had sons, and she had daughters. But she did not have the attention of her husband. It seems as though she did not have the love of her husband because the Bible says he loved Hannah. Now, it's not to say that he hated or despised Penina, but men, you know married men, you know how it is to have the heart of your wife and your wife to have the heart of of the husband. Well, Hannah was the one who had that particular heart, even though she had no children. And so Penina is looking at this situation, and she having everything but her husband's heart, decides that, you know what, I'm going to make life hell for Hannah. And she goes about that mission to make life a living hell for Hannah. And so she provoked Hannah. And year after year, 
She provoked Hannah. The more children she had, the better off she was. And the more she made fun of Hannah, the more she made life a living hell for Hannah. And she made Hannah sore afraid. Because in that day and age, you were expected to have children. And so she made life very tough for Hannah. Hannah had an adversary. She had an adversary. Now, when I look at that word adversary, you pull that up on the screen for me. You look at that word adversary. I looked it up in, 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 the, in its original language. That word means rival, affliction, vexer, anguish, and distress. Those are all synonyms and thoughts of the word anguish. And could you imagine year after year, Watching one lady have child after child and that same lady making fun of you for not having children and making your life miserable. She set herself up as a rival and affliction, a vexer. She brought anguish and she brought distress in Hannah's life. Now, brothers and sisters, it's one thing to have an adversary at your job. It's one thing to run across your adversary in Walmart. It's one thing to see your adversary at the gym working out with you. It's one thing to see your adversary at a restaurant, your enemy at a restaurant. But my God, it's a whole nother thing when your adversary lives with you. And I can't help but wonder, this isn't really even a part of the message, but how many husbands and wives are adversaries in their own home? How many of you look at your husband as an adversary? as a vexer, as a person who brings anguish and distress? Or how many of you look at your wife as your problem? It takes it to a whole nother degree and level when your adversary is living with you. She set herself up as an adversary or as a rival. Does your rival live with you? Now, 1 Samuel chapter 1, 10 through 11, verse 10 says, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and she wept sore. Now, when we get to this point in our scripture, it makes it almost seem as though she goes before the Lord once and and now the Lord is going to answer her prayers. Because we do know that that Hannah eventually does have the child and, you know, Samuel and all that. We we know all that because we have the privilege of, 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 of knowing what lies ahead. But she didn't know at that time. And what you don't need to see is, is that don't ever think that when you get to this point that, you know, she, oh, she just prayed one time and God opened up a breakthrough and then a miracle. No, that woman had prayed for years. She prayed for years. God, give me her. Give me a child. God, give me children. God, give me extensions of my husband. And my wife, let me tell you about my wife. So. We had a couple of children, and I was pretty much done. I was ready to, you know, I'm, I'm good. And, and, um, but she wanted, she wanted another child. She wanted, um, you know, to have, have another boy, and, you know, as if I can just say, okay, boy on the checklist and, and, and get it off, you know. And so she, um, she wanted a, a, another child, and she, and she put it to me this way. She, she said, Deke, she came to me, she, she said, you ought to be happy somebody want more extensions of you. You know, added pressure. But I delivered. 
Hannah had been praying for a child year after year. God, give me a child. God, grant me the desires of my heart. God, you know my heart. God, you know what I want. God, you know what I need. Lord, uh, um, um, he may put me out because I don't have a son, a man child. Lord, you, you know my situation. God, grant me a child. Say that with me. God, grant me. Verse 10, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and forget not thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give unto him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Now, brothers and sisters, she's getting ready to have a breakthrough. But Hannah is not getting ready to have a breakthrough simply because she says, Lord, give me a child because I want a child and I want to raise a child. Hannah switches up how she prays. She no longer says, God, give me a child for me. But now Hannah has reached out and said, you know, Lord, I've been thinking about this all wrong. This whole time, all these years, I've been thinking about what's good for me. I've been thinking about what's good for my family. I've been thinking about what's good for my life. I've been thinking about these things the wrong way. But, Lord, now that my eyes are open, Lord, how can what I want be an honor to you? How can my desire be a blessing and a benefit to you, Lord? She switches up how she prays and she says from her bitterness of soul, Lord, if you will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and will remember me and will not forget me, Lord, I won't forget you. And she says, Lord, I'm going to give my child. If you would just give him to me, I'm going to give that child after he's waned. I'm going to give him over to you, not for a portion, but for the rest of his life. He will be your child. He will be your servant. And then she goes even further and she says, and not a razor will hit upon his head. Now, I don't like that kind of talk as a barber. No, 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 no. When the razor don't hit your head, that means I'm unemployed. And that's not good. But, but, but she says, Lord, not a razor will hit his head. Now you say, well, what's so important about that? What Hannah does is, is give the vow of her future son the rights of a Nazarite. Now, I don't have time to go there, but if you, when you get home, I want you to look at Numbers chapter 6. And in Numbers chapter 6, you will see from verse 1 on down what the vow of a Nazarite child would look like. But you'd also see that a vow of a Nazarite was not necessarily one that had to be endured for a lifetime, but simply for a portion. Because in a portion of that time, you were to separate yourself as a Nazarite. You you were not to touch anything unclean. You were never to be around a dead body. Uh, You were never to drink wine. Some of y'all say, "Uh uh-uh, I can't take that vow. Um, that, That were certain things that a Nazarite had to do because he was sanctified before God. Sanctification is a process of setting you apart for good works. And so he was sanctified. And she says, Lord, if you'll give me a child, I'm going to almost act like this child doesn't belong to me. Lord, if you'll grant me the desires of my heart, I'm going to in turn grant this child back to you so this child will be in full service of what you have for the rest of his life. She switches up 
how she prays. Y'all know that God answered her prayer, right? So in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, um, um, I don't have this on, on my screen. I'm just going to read it to you. 1 Samuel chapter 1, 19 and 20 says, Early next morning they arose, worshipped before the Lord, and went back to their home at Ramah. And Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And so she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Her approach to prayer changed. I got some lessons for you from Hannah's approach to prayer that I want you to see. If you'll take these uh, three things, and I've got a few more things after this, but you take these three things As it relates to your approach to prayer, you will see some differences happen in your life. Number one, we have to change how we pray to benefit the king and the kingdom. You see, she she stopped praying, Lord, just simply give me for me. She says, now, Lord, no, give me something so I can be in a position to give it back to you. So she says, Lord, whatever it is. That you do, however this child may be, whoever this child is, he's going to be your child. He's going to be your servant because I want to be a benefit to the king and to the kingdom. And when you and I pray and we're praying for new this and new that and extra this and extra that, are we praying those things simply for us? Or are we saying, Lord, use whatever I have to benefit your kingdom? God likes that kind of praying. Because now you're taking the bulk of the weight off of you and say, Lord, I want this for me and, and, and I, want, I want these things for me and I want this for my house and for my family. And say, Lord, no, I want to use these things so I can be a blessing to the king and to the kingdom. Secondly, you must change your prayer from a selfish cause to a selfless cause. Taking yourself completely out of the picture as if you're not you're not the one even asking for this. Like, Lord, I'm not going to even really get the benefit of this at all for myself. Lord, I'm going to take myself out of the picture and I'm going to place you in the picture because I want to be a blessing to you. You go from being selfish to selfless. And then thirdly. Understand. That God answers certain prayers at the point where he gets the greatest glory. You know, we're going to see here in a moment um, how God uses Samuel, but God had to wait to give her the answer to her prayer because there was a season where he was going to use Samuel in ministry. And so at first when she was just asking, Lord, give this child to me, the time wasn't right. And there are certain things that you and I ask for, and I want you to know God always answers our prayers, and he answers us in three fashions, yes, no, and maybe later. Yes, no, later. Yes, it's okay for you to have this, but you're not going to have it right now because it's going to be to my benefit and to my glory. And if you have that mindset, you don't mind waiting on God. But you've got to position yourself to get before the Lord so that you can know what God's will is for your life. So that's our approach to prayer as it relates to getting something from God. We've got to change 
how we pray to benefit the king and the kingdom. We've got to go from being selfish to selfless. And then we've got to understand that God answers certain prayers at the place and point in your life where he can get the greatest glory. Now, some of you may be okay with that portion of the message. You say, okay, that's a good word. Now I know how to pray for the things that I'm I'm wanting, the things that I'm desiring in life. I just got to switch some things up, how I pray, and now we can go home, you know, and eat our chicken and go and have a good day. Um, But I want to ask you this. How many of you all want to go deeper in the Lord? You see, what's wrong with this kind of, of, of praying? It, not that something is wrong with it, but what's wrong with it is that it still has everything to do with us. It's still something that, you know, God may answer the, 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 the prayer. He may give you the desire of your heart, but it was, it was just that. It was the desire of your heart for him to give you something that you're wanting to, to have right now. And you say, okay, well, now I understand. I just need to kind of switch up my praying, switch up how I pray so that I can grab God's attention. Now, you understand, God can't be manipulated. So even if you pray how we just went over, just make sure that that prayer is sincere and coming from your heart and not just something that you want because you can't trick God. You cannot trick God. God is so much greater than just praying over a new car. God is so much greater than just praying over a new job opportunity. He's so much greater than a new house. He's so much greater than getting your child in the right school. He's so much greater than that. And if you will allow me just these few minutes, I want to show you how you and I can go deeper into God. Because here it is. God is watching our motives. He's watching our motives. Many of us approach prayer simply as a tool to get something from God, where we've got to learn to approach prayer as a tool to get to God. Do you see the difference? We typically begin and end our prayers with, Lord, I need, Lord, I want, Lord, bless me, Lord, give me. And we use prayer as a, and our approach to prayer as a tool and as a mechanism to just get something from God. But I believe that God is looking at the heart of his worshipers and saying, you know what? If you want to get something from me, you've got to first get to me. And we've got to change our mindset and our motives from just having an approach. I want something from you, Lord, to I just want you, Lord. There's a difference. Looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Now, of course, Samuel's already been born and... And here's some things going on in his life. So verse 1 says in chapter 3, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Now, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. We're going to get back to that a little later. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. The Lord, then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. 
But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went back and laid down. Verse six. Again, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Verse seven. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And a third time, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, here it is, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Verse 10, the Lord came and stood there calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Brothers and sisters, there are three important factors that I want you to consider as it relates to your approach to prayer. We're talking about going deeper into the Lord with your approach to prayer. Number one. You've got to go to the right place. Number two, you've got to be in the right position. And number three, you've got to have the right perspective. You've got to go to the right place. You've got to have or be in the right position. You've got to have the right perspective. It's vitally important. That you and I go and get to the right place. Now, that place may be both physical and a mental place. I I, I believe it it was it was um, um, those those servants of the Lord who said, your body is here with me, but your mind is on the other side of time. Messing me around. That's prophetic. Servants of the Lord. Y'all call them the OJs. Because they, they realize that you can be physically with somebody, but yet your, your mind capacity, your mental state is somewhere else. You can physically get up and go to your quiet place. You can physically get up and go to the throne room. You can physically come and get into this place and come to worship, but your mind may be on the other side of town messing you around. And so it's vitally important, my brothers and sisters, that you separate yourself both physically and mentally and get in the right place so that God can now pour himself into you. You've got to get in the right place. Samuel was in the right place. Samuel was in the tabernacle of God, sleeping by the ark of God. He was in the right place. And I also believe that he was in the right place mentally. And now when you separate yourself, number one, if you separate yourself and make a practice of that. What are you thinking about when you are in your right place? Is your mindset really on the things of God when you get to your right place? Because you and I understand that we we are we are very easily distracted. And, 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 and we're so easily thrown off base 
that when we get to the right place, our mindset still may not be on the things of God. Now, Jesus has something to say about getting in the right place. Luke chapter 5 and 16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6 and 12 says, on one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Matthew 6, chapter 5, uh, verse 5 through 6 says, when you pray, Jesus is talking to us, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the importance of getting to the right place is found in three things. Number one, we've got to separate ourselves from distractions. We've got to physically separate ourselves from the distractions. We are easily distracted in this day and age. The slightest little thing throws us off. If somebody opens that door, 10 of us are going to turn around and see who's, who's walking through the door. We're easily distracted by our cell phone devices. As soon as that device goes off, bing, something happens in your mind and in your heart, and you feel inclined to check it. Something happens when Snapchat goes off and when Instagram sends you something or when Facebook sends you a notification. We are so easily distracted. And we've got to learn to separate ourselves from those things that easily distract us. And so if your cell phone is an issue, you need to turn your cell phone off and put it in a different location because you are trying to meet with God. You've got to free yourself from your distractions. Secondly, the importance of getting in the right place is you want intimacy with God. Intimacy. You see, I have that word broken down for you. That word intimacy is broken down into into me, see. Lord, I'm going to be in the right place so that I can have time to spend with you. And Lord, while I'm there, I want you to peer open into my heart and into my life. And I want you to see me and I want to see you for who you are. You see, intimacy, brothers and sisters, is like having surgery. The only way the doctor can repair what's wrong is if he or she opens you up. But the only way he's going to open you up is if you come to the surgery. So the doctor has his role, but you have your role. And the only way you're going to have intimacy with God on a certain and deep level is if you position yourself to get before him and allow him to open you up. And when God opens you up, God will remove things from you that don't look like him. That fear that you have been, been, been dealing with, God will see that inside of your life and he'll throw that fear out. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, fear thou not for I am, I, I am with thee, be not Dismayed, for I am thy God, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. He pulls out fear from our lives when we spend time with him. When we spend time with him, he pulls out depression and anxiety. 
Because the Bible says that God says, cast all of your cares on him because he cares for you. That lying tongue that you've been dealing with, God will extract that from your life. That pride that you have that's pent up inside of you, God will remove that from your life. That materialistic mindset that you have, he'll remove that from your life. That greed that you face, that idolatry that you have. When you sit yourself before God and say, God, I want to be in the right place so that I can be intimate with you, God will begin to extract things from you that don't look like him. God wants us to be like him. He said, you be holy because I'm holy. And the only way you're going to get holy, my brothers and sisters, is when you spend time with God and you have to separate yourself. Real intimacy always leads to genuine openness and honesty. Real intimacy always leads to genuine openness and honesty that even relates in our marriage life. How intimate are you with your spouse? If you're very intimate, you'll open up to him or to her about things that you otherwise would not. And if you're struggling with that, you need to realize that real intimacy always leads to genuine openness and honesty. Don't be surface level with your wife and don't be surface level with your God. Secondly, it's not only important for us to get in the right place, but Eli tells Samuel that you've got to get in the right position. It's important that we get in the right position. First Samuel chapter three, verse nine says, so Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Lord, speak. For your servant is listening. So Samuel obeyed and he went and lay down in his place. You've got to separate yourself and go to the right place, but then you've got to learn to get in the right position. And that position is to be quiet before God. You see, so many of us have noises when, when, when we get before God. You know, we, we wait to the wrong and inopportune times to get before the Lord. My, my, I like to get up early when I'm going to sit before the Lord and get up before my children and my wife get moving before anything starts because it, it, it allows me to just sit and have intimate, detailed time with the Lord where the Lord can pour into me and I can share things with him. But then when I get done doing that, I just sit there for a moment so that the Lord can now pour whatever it is that he wants to say into me. We've got to learn to be quiet I can remember growing up, and many of you who, who are north of 40 can, can, can probably remember uh, that there were times when the storms would come. And if you were in your house and you were watching television, or when you were on the telephone, you, your, your mom, my mom would, would say, turn that TV off. And I'm like, man, I'm in the middle of Batman. <laughs> this is the most inopportune time, mama. But she would demand, turn that television off. And some of your, your grandparents would probably put sheets over the television. My mom didn't go that far, but she made us turn that television off. And, and I, I, I couldn't you know, resume. My, I missed the whole episode of He-Man. Now, I've got a problem with that. But my mom's whole mind frame was something that she learned. Be still when God is moving. Be still. God is doing his business. And I know that didn't make sense to me then, but, Mama, it makes so much sense now. 
that you just got to be still. And we've got to teach our children. You know, a lot of our kids are so fidgety and we, you know, they, they're easily distracted. We've got to teach our children, oh, baby, just, just be still and wait. There's nothing wrong with waiting. Be still and wait. And what, we're always accustomed or we would love for God to, to open up to us in, in, in loud ways. You know, we, we would like to be in a position where God always speaks audibly and that whatever God speaks, we know it's God because he's moved and done these mighty things. But you know what? God just likes to whisper sometimes sweet words into our ears. But you've got to be in the right place and you've got to be in the right position so that you can hear from God. I'm reminded of the story in, in, um, in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah called down fire from heaven because he was trying to prove to the prophets of Baal that there was only one God. And so Eli called down fire and God showed himself in a mighty and magnificent way in chapter 18 to show the people that he was God. But then just the very next chapter, in chapter 19, he shows him something different. Let me show you this. First uh, Kings chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then verse 12, after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God knows how to distinguish himself from other gods. He can do the great and magnificent things. But for those of us who want intimacy with God, God says you've got to quiet yourself because I want to show you something and I'm not going to talk above a whisper. In chapter 18, God showed his might and his majesty. But in chapter 19, God shows us the wonder of his whisper. God speaks softly and you've got to be in the right place and you've got to be in the right position so that you can receive from God. The scripture says, be still and know that I am God. Lastly, my brothers and sisters, I want us to look at having the right perspective because after you have positioned yourself and after you've placed yourself to sit before the Lord, then God will pour into you and you will have the right perspective. Right place, right position equals right perception. Andrea, will you uh, get those items and come up here for me? I got a temple servant today going to help us. Thank you, sir. You just want you to hold this, okay? Please don't let any water fall and hit this sacred ground, okay? All right? That's your job. All right. Does anybody wonder why did God choose to speak through Samuel 
when he had a high priest, Eli, and he had the priest's sons to minister before him. The high priest and judge, whose name was Eli, had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And the high priest was the one by whom God, spirit of God is like water, would pour into. And God was also supposed to be able to pour into the priests who were serving under him. But in chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, In that day there was not many visions that God was mostly quiet. So God stopped talking to the high priest and his sons. Why? Well, I don't have time to read through every scripture. That's why I want your assignment today is to read through chapters 2 and 3 to look at the right perspective. But I want to show you what happened and tell you what happened. The Bible says that Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were sons of Belial. That word Belial means that they were scoundrels. They were wicked. They were worthless, no good sons. Nothing good was in those boys. What made those boys scoundrels? Well, the Bible also tells us that, that these guys were robbing from the Lord. Will a man rob God? And these men were robbing from the Lord because the Lord had required that people would come and bring the sacrifices to the tabernacle in Shiloh. And when the men would come and bring their sacrifices, the priests, Hophni and Phinehas, would have their servants go out and take the meat that was prepared for God. And so only a portion of what was supposed to have been given to God really got to God. And so God was furious with those boys. But what made matters worse was the man with whom he was supposed to be pouring out his word, Eli, God stopped talking to him too. Why? Because Eli was derelict of duty. These were Eli's sons. And this was the Old Testament. You all realize that the Old Testament was hard. It was strict under the law. And there were certain things that had to take place if you sinned against God. And the Bible says that Eli heard all that his sons were doing. And you know what Eli does? Eli comes and he tells his boys, he says, sons, what I hear about you is is, is awful. You know, not only are you stealing from the Lord, but the Bible says that his sons were sleeping with the women who came to the tabernacle. They were sleeping with the women and robbing from God. And Eli says, Stop it, boy. You ought to stop. Because, you, you, you know, it, if you sin against man, you have a judge. But if you sin against God, you know, who, who can save you? That, that was, those were his words. And the Bible says that they disregarded that. But, but, but mind you, this man was the judge and the high priest. So he had a responsibility to do something about the situation. And you know what Eli does? Eli does nothing. All he said was, boys, you shouldn't act like that. Now we got on back to our regular routine. And so God shuts up talking to them. But how many of y'all know that even though God may have shut up talking to the priest, the high priest, that God still has something to say? God still has something to say, doesn't he? He still has something to say. 
He still has something to say. But who is he going to say it to? And God now is beginning to use a temple servant. God is beginning to use a man by the name of Samuel who was just really loaned unto him, who was not ever supposed to be graduated to a high position, but was just really supposed to be somebody who ministered unto the Lord all the rest of the days of his life. But when God saw that he could no longer pour into the priest, God now begins to pour into Eli. And see, my brothers and sisters, that's what this represents. This is Eli. This is the high priest. This is the container by which God is supposed to be able to pour his word and pour his spirit into. But when God cannot use you because you have lost your perspective, God then will move on to somebody else. And God will take a temple servant and elevate him to the right place. So, okay, now let's bring that on home. You say, I'm just, all I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm the camera operator. All I am, I'm a musician, I'm, I'm a drummer. In, in your mind, all I am, all I am, in your mind, all I am. I just kind of make sure that things go flow well in, in the service. But you know what? You, you're the one who has been spending time with God. And God is supposed to be able to pour into the minister, but the minister has lost his perspective. And now God says, you know what? I'm through talking to him or I'm through talking to her because they've lost their way. I'm going to start talking to the one who's paying attention. God starts talking to you. Never think that what you do is just all I am. You know, don't 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 ever put yourself in a position that says, you know, all I do is this. I'm not really that important. But God still takes that that mindset of humility and uses it for his glory. And every time you position yourself to be in the right place and in the right position, God is now pouring into you and you are developing a right spirit that God can use. But then conversely, what if you are the person? You're the minister right now. You're the man of God. You're the one of God who God has has been pouring into. But then. You start acting a fool. You stop listening. You stop praying. You stop governing yourself according to biblical standards. I want you to understand that God will stop pouring into your life and he'll start pouring into that person that's sitting next to you. Because they have the right perspective. When you are in the right place, and I encourage every one of you to find a place in your house or outside somewhere where you can sanctify that area, where it can just be the place where you meet with God. Some of you are early birds. Some of you like to go in the evening. Some are night people. Whatever your time is, I like the early side because I want the Lord to kind of pour into me early because I have a tendency to act a fool throughout the course of the day. So I'd rather him talk to me early so that I don't act as much of a fool that I may be known to do. Sean, don't be nodding your head and it's under either. Okay? So I like him to talk to me early. But whatever it is, separate a place and a space for you to meet with God. Say, get in the right place. When you get in the right place, I want you to find yourself in the right position. 
Now, you've got to learn what all that may mean for you. Some of you may need a little gospel music to kind of get you going. Some of you may need some scripture to start it off. And that's fine. But whatever it is, position yourself where you can hear from God. Turn all of the noises and distractions off and listen to God. And brothers and sisters, if you would do that, God will begin to pour inside of you until you begin to overflow. Because now you have the right perspective. Thank you.